My first job was in a grocery store when I was a teen. I had a friend or coworker that used to um, go to the YMCA, which is sort of like a big fitness chain um, here in Montreal. And uh, she would go every day and she was super fit. And she was, uh, she was sort of an older lady with some grown-up kids. And um, like, she was still the, one of the fittest people I knew. Like she, she went to the YMCA every day. Um, she would take classes. Uh, she, she did strength training. And then one day she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember thinking like, that's impossible because she did everything right. Healthy eating, daily exercise. She had a healthy weight. It's impossible that she has cancer. And so today's guest would probably be able to relate to that experience. Hi, and welcome to Running Book Reviews Podcast, where we review running books to help you decide if you'd like to read the book for yourself. We also hope that listening to us chat about running can help keep you motivated about your own running or maybe inspire you to try something new. My name is Liz, and with my co-host, Alan, we're going to talk today with author Fitz Kohler about her new book, My Noisy Cancer Comeback. So this book takes you through Fitz's experience with breast cancer, starting with a clear mammogram about three months prior to finding a lump in her breast. In the first chapter, she describes her life as a bit of a dream come true. Uh, her work is her passion. She's in a healthy relationship and she has two thriving children that we're going to hear a little bit about probably. By contrast, the second chapter is called I'm Definitely Dying. Fitz takes us from the moment she finds a lump and calls her doctor through chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, more chemotherapy, trying to recover, getting her chemo butt, then losing her chemo butt in the remaining 16 chapters. The book reads like a diary and has uh, dated subsections. Fitz is an extremely positive person, but she describes the emotional roller coaster as she tries to keep something that's very private often to everybody. She kind of tries to keep uh, hold of that while it was happening to her. So who's Fitz Kohler? Well, you're gonna be hearing exactly who she is in a minute, but let me try and do her a little bit of pre-justice. Fitzgoller has been into fitness since she was probably a child. She has a master's degree in exercise and sports scientists from the University of Florida. So as we would say, she's not just a pretty face. Uh, she has a website called fitness.com. She started the Morning Mile, which is now in over 180 schools, which has kids walking and running before they go to school. She's created fitness DVDs, been on TV many, many times. Liz tells me over 200 times. She does a lot of pub public speaking with corporations and is the announcer of many big, big running races, which you may have seen her at, such as the Philadelphia Marathon, the Big Sur Marathon on the West Coast, LA Marathon. These things are huge. And uh, the DC Wonder Woman 5K series and the Batman series uh, as it's now come out. She also has her own podcast called The Fitness Show. So welcome, Fitz. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll launch you straight in. You're a bubbly, expressive, extrovert, um, 
Beautiful looking person. Uh, what made you decide to write a book about having cancer? Um, well, I was certainly not a book I ever imagined I'd be writing, and nor did I ever imagine I'd have cancer. In fact, I still can't believe that I had cancer, that I had chemo and radiation and surgeries. It's still mind-boggling. And I, I had a checkup appointment with my oncologist today, and I still go in and I think, what the heck am I doing here? So when I started my treatment, I, I had decided to keep all the gory details private. I'm a private person. I knew that I was going to have to stand on stages bald. And I would, uh, because of that, I'd have a lot of questions if I didn't share uh, what was going on. So I decided that I will release this information. I made an awkward little video that said, hey, guys, just want to let you know that I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, my doctors tell me I'm curable. So I'll be fine. I'm going to look kind of weird for a while and feel kind of bad. But I am going to continue announcing all of my races. I will show up and I will perform as expected and um, take good care of my kids. And I will accept zero pity. Uh, you can root for me, you can send prayers, but other than that, I'm gonna be just fine. And so that was kind of <laughs> naive up front. Yeah. But, you know, I am, yeah. did you see the video? It's still on social media. Did you guys? I, I actually went back a few days ago and uh, listened to your podcast I... where you announced I think your podcast was was called I have breast cancer. I have breast cancer. Yeah. yeah. Which must have been probably you don't feel nervous talking in front of crowds but did you feel different with that? Definitely different and so it's interesting usually all the words that I that come out of my mouth, you know, I, I stand on tons of stages but it's never about me. It's always about uh, the people I'm helping. My brand fitness is about helping everybody else and so to uh, have to turn the spotlight on myself was very uncomfortable. And, you know, the other thing is I'm a service provider. I'm a beacon of health and happiness. And so to talk about anything else, the harsh reality that I was facing a lethal disease was uh, definitely super uncomfortable, something I didn't want to do. And if it wasn't for the hair loss, I probably would have kept it all very private, but there I was <laughs> making this announcement. So I did that. And Again, I felt like I was going to keep it private. And, and during the process, I kept all the hard stuff private. But what happened was the side effects became so wacky. And I'm a very sarcastic person. So first I got sick and I got super sick. And then I, and I was bald, which a lot of people are. And then I, I was tired. And then stuff started hitting the fans, stuff that I didn't expect. You know, the fact that my eyes changed colors threw me for a loop. I, I, I was like, nobody taught me. Nobody told me this might happen. How did my eyes change colors? And you guys can see them. They used to be pale gray. They're royal blue, blue. right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. They're very blue. They're pretty, right? so, they're pretty nice though. Thank you. Yeah. They're not horrible eyes, but mine are gray. So what these, these low blue things in my face are kind of weird. And then, you know, my fingernails, they rotted out on my hands and I still had to live with rotting fingernails. It was so strange. And so as the evolution of the side effects kept coming and coming, I started to find it all very humorous. Yes, I was suffering <laughs> in a big way, but I kept thinking, this is crazy. Uh, why didn't why didn't anybody tell me about this? Why doesn't anybody talk about this? And then I thought, oh my gosh, people are going to get a good kick out of this. People are going to laugh. So I just started taking notes. And so I wrote the book in diary form, but I, I never actually kept a diary. I was just able to recall all those events very specifically because my life was so um, uh, 
structured. You know, I knew I had chemo every Monday and I knew that uh, I knew what day I lost my hair. I knew what event I was at when I lost my hair. Wow. I was able to just recall these things. And I also started writing the book um, just a few months after I started chemo. So I was able to pull things back. But yeah, so I wrote the book because of, you know, I th- the laugh factor. And you know how if you're part of a minority group, you can make fun of your minority group. So women, we can make fun of women. Well, I think that cancer can be damn funny. And I think my book six uh, proves that because I just thought it was hilarious. Even though I was sick as a dog and miserable and scared, I, I was willing, I was able to have a good laugh. Um, I think I was able to share some good lessons on perspective and thriving while surviving, which means a lot to a, especially someone who's newly diagnosed. And right now, you know, every single day I get a message that says, oh my God, my brother was diagnosed with brain cancer. Can you sign his, your book and get it to him quickly? He needs it. And so I'm really grateful. Wow now a handbook slash resource for others. And then the other thing is I think it gives a darn good behind the scenes look at the running industry and uh, race announcing, race directing, all of those factors. So that's why I wrote the book. The part that I still remember is when you, um, you mentioned to somebody that like your nose was running all the time and they were like, yeah, that's because you lost all your nose hair. And it was just like, it, it seemed, I just saw like a light bulb, like going up over your head, like lighting up over your head. <laughs> yeah. Cause nobody talks about losing never, your nose hair, do they? I would have never thought of that. No. And I still walk around with tissues in my pocket today because, you know, I have hair on my head. Thank goodness. There's hair on my legs. There's a hair on one of my armpits, but my nostril hair is creeping back in so damn slow. And I never thought in my entire life I'd be wishing for more nostril hair, but there I was. So yeah, bizarre. <laughs> I think you had one of one of the chapters had nose wigs in the, in the, in the title, I think some of the, okay. some of the, um, and it's not all it's not all um, moonbeams and unicorns uh, by by any means, but some of the titles are pretty wacky. Yeah, um, and give, give you a smile. You go, okay, nose wigs. What on earth is this chapter going to be about? <laughs> so um, before we plunge into sort of, I, I think you do a great job of, of, of demystifying the treatment of cancer as well in terms of you know putting it down to some basics and but but also giving the details things that you might not realize that you would go through, which is excellent. Maybe before we get into it, you could tell us about, you know, how, how does pre-cancer, how does your, how does your day work? How does your typical, um, I don't know how you fitted your life in with a cancer treatment as well, but how, what, what do you do? Do you, are you traveling around your own line? Yeah, so pre-cancer and during cancer, but I'll, I'll start with the pre-cancer life, life at full volume. We call it was, Uh, most weekends of the year traveling off to a race. If if it was a marathon weekend, I'd leave on Thursday, come back on Monday. If it was half marathon weekend with a 5k on Saturday, I'd leave Friday. I'd come back Sunday night or Monday morning. I have two teenagers that are fairly self-sufficient, but still they needed rides to and fro lunches made. And, you know, the, the beauty of my career is even though when I leave, I'm officially gone, you know, I'm absent from the home. When I'm home, I always have the luxury of being completely present. I can make, I can wake them up with kisses and um, make them breakfast and pack their lunches, drive them to school. And then I spend the time getting the business side of my business done, my morning mile program, answering emails, writing articles, blah, 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 blah. And then I get to go pick them up at school again and, and show up and cheer for them at volleyball or track or cheerleading. So that's what my life was like 
before cancer. So, so I guess in contrast, I mean, you sort of sent out this video into the world being, you know, to announce to everybody that you had cancer because they were going to see you bald. And, and you were sort of like, yes, I'm going to, um, I'm going to keep all my engagements, but that must have just been so hard because, you know, you describe being really sick all the time. So how did it contrast after yeah, so uh, the second you find the lump, virtually your my life went thrown into spin cycle. I mean, everything would, became chaotic. And it's interesting, I was able to still, you know, make those appointments, those meetings with my kids because I, I, I chose to, but every single day there was a new doctor's appointment, a new scan, a new show up for lab work. And it just, every single day, I had no idea what I was in for. I think I was back and forth to that cancer center you know, probably 200 times within my 15 month treatment. Um, so yeah, uh, life became tricky. Uh, you know what, I just, I am so fortunate to have a profession I am so passionate about. And I've said it time and time again, if I was, you know, a secretary or a, a sh- did shipping, not, and those are totally uh, valuable jobs and careers, but they weren't my passion, right? If I had done anything else for a living, I would have called in sick every single day. And I would have had a good reason to, because I was laid out, you know, I was exploding nonstop. However, when I had that laser focus, I am going to go to my events and, you know, two things, I earned my rightful spot on those stages. I was the voice of the Big Sur Marathon or OC Marathon or whatever it was. And I wasn't giving that up. And then I also knew if I missed out on my athletes, my race professionals, my, my events, I would have stayed at home crying all the time. And I, you know, what's better for me is to struggle to be happy or to settle for being miserable. And I just decided I am going. And so, you know, as, as I tell the tale in the book is, you know, I get chemo and, and I it's hard to describe how sick I was. I was the crawling on the floor sick, the fall risk sick. The whole thing was a miserable, miserable thing. And they started me on IV fluids every day. I continued to get IV fluids every weekday for almost six months. So that's how desperate things got. But when it was time to get on my plane to for that first trip post-chemo to the Los Angeles Marathon, my husband dropped me off at the airport. He brought me up to TSA and he just looked at me and he goes, how are you going to do this? And I just looked back. I had this glazed and disoriented look, but I just said, I just am. And, uh, you know, the nice thing is I have 100%, 100% faith in Fitz Kohler. She is a stubborn little mule. And um, I think stubbornness has been my greatest asset, my greatest curse, but nothing was going to keep me from the Los Angeles Marathon. And of course, that became a chaotic moment in my life too. But that became the theme. Every single week, I was getting on a plane to go somewhere else. And every single week, Rob was saying, how are you going to do this? And I was getting balder and grayer and thinner. And the whole thing, I just kept deteriorating. And I became even more motivated. I just, yeah, I I wouldn't have given them up. You would have I would have had to have passed out completely somewhere and been dragged off by a paramedic for me to miss my events. Yeah. And I I remember that a few times um, there were some things that kind of really helped you out that the races did like one of them arranged IV fluids for you, which was amazing. Yeah. Several of them did. So, you know, again, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I, before 
uh, before I made that video, I called my, my bosses, my race director, and I, I did it on FaceTime so they could see my smiling face and hopefully believe me. I was like, oh, I got breast cancer. I'm going to be fine. Trust me, I'll be there. And then, you know, when stuff hit the fan and IV fluids became my go-to, it, it didn't make me not sick, but they kept me from being dehydrated and dizzy and having those other side effects. So I remember the first race director I called, Gary Kutcher, Gary Kutcher with OC Marathon. And what a little prince he is. He is the sweetest man ever. He's actually the first person to ever hire me as a race announcer. So I get him on FaceTime. Hey, Gary, how's it going? Oh, good. How are you? I said, well, I'm doing okay, but I got a request for you. It's kind of weird. All right, what do you need? And I said, well, I've been kind of sick and I, I could do some IV fluids when I come to Orange County. He just looked at me, gave me a blank stare and he said, uh, oh, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> bless his heart. He made it happen. And so I land in Orange County and I had just had chemo a few days prior. So I was in like that, the max place of my uh, despair. And uh, my announcing partner, Rudy, who's also one of my best friends, he picks me up at the airport, drives me directly to this hydration salon. And I tell you what, nothing on, there's nothing on the planet weirder than a hydration salon. The fact that this normal people go and just get hooked up with IV for, you know, they want a skinny IV, which is crap. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, I went in there and thankfully they were part-time nurses or they were nurses doing this part-time. I got my IV fluids. And then in Buffalo, I had to ask for the same thing and they brought nurses to my hotel room. So I'd announce a race. I'd go directly back to my hotel room, get hooked up with IV fluids, go back out, show my face. Nobody knew any of the wow. We had all the medical directors, you know, my mom would say, but what happens? What happens if something happens to you? Well, mom, I'm blessed to have one of the only careers where no matter where I'm working, there's always a medical team right next to my finish line stage. Yes, they're there for the athletes, but if the announcer goes down, you bet your booty, those paramedics or those physicians are going to come over and, and rescue your daughter. So um, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> oh, wow. Your oncologist uh, actually says in the book, after your first, what you called your mean chemo treatment, your yeah. your big robust treatments, yeah. uh, six first six ones, said you probably start losing your hair after eleven days, yeah. and eleven days later you're slated to be on stage at the LA Marathon. How did that work out? Well, actually, eleven days was the day it started coming out. So my my hairbrush became a little fuller the Thursday night before I was flying to LA on Friday morning. And so I, I had been crying a lot. I'm definitely mourning the loss of my hair. And for anyone who doesn't know, I had two feet of waist length. I thought it was beautiful hair. And, you know, it never was my identity. It was my hair. And some people say, well, it's just hair. Well, to heck with you. It's not just hair. If it was just hair, everybody would shave their head. Nobody would deal with it. It's not just hair. So I really um, was mourning that the fact that it was going to go. And so I'm at home brushing my hair at night and then whoops, my hair starts, my hairbrush starts filling off up and I think, oh gosh, all right, I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to finger brush it. I'm not going to run a brush through and it won't pull out. And so I get on the airplane, I get to LA, I'm okay. I do the finger brushing, no big deal. Saturday morning, I host the LA big 5k. We've got 5,000 plus athletes. Hair is just fine. Saturday night, my hair is all ratty because I had been working and not brushing it. And so I have to brush it and then gobs are coming out and uh, it was, it was punishing. So I go to sleep. I wake up at four something in the morning. And basically what happened is that 
I get to the finish line and I'm where our tower is in front of the Santa Monica Pier. So it's, we're up high, it's a windy day at the beach and our black stage was covered, just covered with long blonde hair. It looked like we were standing on bales of hay and uh, poor Rudy, poor Rudy, he was doing everything he could to try to entertain me. He was dancing silly and you know, if I had my attention on our athletes and we had uh, 27,000, I think if my, my attention was on our runners, then I was fine. I could do my job because I was sincerely uh, focused on them. But the second I'd pull off the microphone and, and the reality is you don't talk straight for 10 hours. Sometimes you pause, you let the music play or you let your announce your partners sp speak. And the second I'd come off the microphone and I'd look down, I was just in a, uh, I was just a bucket of tears. I just was crying, crying, crying. And so I had my sunglasses on and thankfully our tower is because of security, because of Boston, we have basically 150 yards where we're the only two people in existence. And so I had plenty of room to um, cry privately out in this very public finish line. And uh, I would have shaved it on that stage that day. I would have actually called a stylist in Los Angeles and say, come over here and shave my head. But my daughter, who was 16 at the time with her long blonde hair, she just, you know, she felt an equal attachment to mine. And she said, mommy, please don't shave your head without me. So I waited. And uh, yeah, the flight home, my flight, the seat, the floor, the whole plane was basically covered with my hair. It was just, I couldn't have made this story up. It was awful. But as soon as I walked through my front door, um, my stylist came over maybe two minutes later. It was like the Grim Reaper had arrived and um, we gathered around my kitchen table and I cried in my hands with a tissue and covered my eyes while she, she cut off, she gave, put my hair into two braids, cut them off and um, tied them each one for my kit. Each of my children have a, one of my braids in a big Ziploc bag in their drawers. It's kind of weird to look at. <laughs> I go in there sometimes and I was like, there's the hair. And then she shaved it and yeah. What a weird start, right? And, and Parker made it all terrible. Parker's your, your boy. Yeah. He said, mommy, you're going to look so cute bald. And oh, yeah, I'm so fortunate. They're such good kids. Such good kids. Very resilient too. Absolutely superb. Well, an amazing story. Everybody who got a medal that day probably got, uh, you know, probably going, oh, what's this? <laughs> the last one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It was everywhere. <laughs> you're welcome, California. Here's my hair. <laughs> So you mentioned Rudy a couple of times. Yeah. Um, Rudy's your your partner in crime. It seems uh, team noisy. It's it's like Alan and Liz, mm -hmm. but it's right. It's a much it's a much higher level uh, operating mm -hmm. unit. Uh, Ru Rudy and Fitz. So yep. tell us about Rudy. More popular also. Uh, Rudy Rudy's a, a gem. I'm so fortunate to have him. He is my favorite race announcer, and many people know Rudy as the voice of the Walt Disney World and Disneyland races. That's where he really earned himself a lot of fame. He's no longer uh, announcing for Run Disney, but that's where I met him. And I was teaching clinics and he was always very complimentary of my presentation saying, wow, you're such a dynamic presenter. You're our only real speaker, blah, blah, blah. And I said, thank you. And uh, we, you know, we definitely had a lot of chemistry, same type of energy, same sense of humor. And so he asked one day, he goes, hey, listen, I need a co-announcer for the OC Marathon in May. Are you interested in hosting with me? And I said, well, I've never done it before, but I'd certainly love to give it a try. And so he connected me with that race director, Gary, and 
you know, the rest is history, but Rudy has been announcing races for 30 something years. He, his sub three hour marathons are all a big sir, which is insane because that is one hell of a course, very hilly. I mean, we actually have a, a point on the course called hurricane point. I mean, <laughs> that itself oh my goodness. wouldn't be running your fastest. Um, but he is a very important part of the running community as an athlete. And he is also someone who cares deeply about our participants. And he's got this big gristly voice, which I think is just magical and great energy. And um, he's, he's the best sidekick I could ask for. I'm so fortunate. He wrote the foreword to my book. That's amazing. You know, in your book, you actually mention at one point um, about not really liking pink ribbons. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you can explain that a little bit because it's like the, the, the picture of breast cancer is this pink ribbon, but you've never really seemed to like the pink ribbon. Well, I can tell you that before my diagnosis, I wore a pink ribbon many, many times supporting other people. Right. And the second I was diagnosed, I just felt uncomfortable with it. I thought, Oh, I can't do that. And it took me a while to figure it out, but basically the ribbon made me feel like a victim um, I do not think the most interesting about interesting thing about Fitzkohler or the best thing about Fitzkohler is breast cancer. You know, I'm, I've got this extraordinary education and this history of helping folks live better and longer. I've got beautiful children and long history with athletics. The last thing I want people to focus on is that's who she is. You know, I am not breast cancer. Breast cancer is something I dealt with. And, you know, certainly I wrote the book and I think it's a great story to tell, but I'm not allowing it to mark me. You know, I will not tattoo my arm. I will not, I don't know, I don't wear ribbons. I don't put the word breast cancer warrior on my chest. It's very comforting to some women and I get it and I love them for it. And I, you know, whatever works for you um, in your time of need is great, but yeah, it makes me feel like a victim and I'm not, I, even within cancer, I was not victimized by it. And you know, I had a cell go rogue and I beat its ass and sent it on its way. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yep, yep. So yeah, but I do also value um, what the pink ribbon symbolizes, which is fundraising and the research and the millions and millions of people that have come together to work to find the cure. And so I do not dismiss that. Um, it's just a personal style preference. And right now I'm happy to wear pink. I feel pretty in pink. It's a nice color on me, but the ribbon feels like a label and I, I just am very uncomfortable with that. That seems fine. It seems fair to me. You don't want to be labeled in that way. No. It's just something you went through. You seem to be incredibly well surrounded uh, by people during your treatment who, who offered you all sorts of help. Maybe I could ask you what kind of things... Do you recommend for people who would be going through this situation of cancer treatment, you know, and they're not sure what to do, what kind of words of advice would you give them? And, and what kind of things did you find were maybe not so helpful or not, not appreciated? So I can tell you that the things that were most helpful to me were having my kids having safe rides to and fro and uh, meals. You know, <laughs> when your stomach turns, the last thing you want to do is buy food, cook food, serve food, any of those things. So we certainly had a bunch of people show up with dishes in hands or just sent gift cards to Bite Squad or Grubhub so I could order food or let my kids order food. That was wonderful. Um, I had a house cleaning service donate through the American Cancer Society. Um, this is the only real donation I got, but it was two hours of cleaning my house. And so my poor husband was basically operating as a single parent because I was useless. I tell you, I was 
almost completely useless around here. So he was able to clean the surface level stuff, keep up with the kitchen and so forth. But the, um, the cleaning service came in and they scrubbed my bathroom floors. Whoo, that felt I'm like, I can't describe oh, it. Felt. it felt like a clean shower. Uh, you know, I had taken a shower. So um, I highly recommend not only offering the chores, you know, either paying for it in advance saying, look, here, here's a gift certificate. I've paid for the cleaning service. Just use it. It's yours. Or show up with a mop in your hand, scrub that house. And I, I have a long history of um, my friends with cancer before my diagnosis. I just show up and knock, just bang on the door. Okay, let's go for a walk. Let me take you to do this. Let me clean your kitchen. Let me fold your laundry. Impose yourself on a cancer patient because there were times that if someone didn't bring me a drink, I wouldn't have had a drink. I could get myself motivated to go to the bathroom, but I wasn't motivated to go into the kitchen, which sits right next to my bedroom. Um, things get that dire. So if you know someone's alone, show up, show up, ask for a key, say, can I have a key so I can come in your house, check on you, make sure you have food, blah, 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 clean your sheets. Um, you know, obviously I think my book is a great resource for <laughs> people who are going through this an opportunity to commiserate. There's so many universal themes and that's why I didn't reference breast cancer on the cover of the book. I just called it my noisy cancer comeback because, you know, I have so much to connect with on someone with brain cancer, colon cancer, melanoma. I mean, there's a lot of similar experiences we share, um, but yeah, you could donate to someone who's going through it. Perhaps they need money for medical bills or just money to buy gas. I know at, through my infusion center, I've been told of patients who don't come in for treatment because they can't afford the gas to get. Oh, wow. Not everybody lives so close. So yeah, those are those are my highlights. I actually have an article on fitness.com. I think it's the top 14 ways to support a cancer patients. So there's there's more ideas there. If people are basically um, shy or they don't know how to react, backing off and disappearing into the background and saying nothing is, is, is definitely not the way to go to begin with. Right. Yeah. So the weird things, um, when I was diagnosed and I shared the news, uh, quite a few people reached out and said, hey, just want to let you know my aunt died of breast cancer. <laughs> I was like, uh Thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thanks. You know, I, thank you I, for the encouragement. Uh, that's un unsettling. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think anyone with one of these diseases is worried about uh, it taking their life. So, try not to reinforce that. You know, try and lean on the positive, even if you know the outcome is likely horrible. Try and find some positive spin that, wow, science is great. And, you know, the pharmaceutical companies have come up with such incredible treatments are doing research all the time. I know you're going to make it through whatever it is. Don't talk about the, the slew of, of bodies left in the disease of uh, diseases wake. And then, um, yeah, I did have a couple of my longtime best friends ghost me and you know what? I didn't want to burden them with anything, but a, a call would have been nice or a text would have been nice. And so that was really one of the lovely things. People, people sent lots of goodies. I have a beautiful handmade blanket, handmade hats. People made me all sorts of niceties. I didn't really expect anyone to spend money on me, um, but there were texts that came in. Hey, just want to let you know, I love you. You do not need to return this message. And that went a long way because sometimes I was too sick or too tired to want to text. So just those um, obligation free messages, send a card in the mail. It, it all goes a long way just to let that person know you feel loved and you care. 
It was also really great to hear in your book because, um, you know, it kind of, it kind of gives you sort of faith in humanity if you've lost it because, you know, you, you had so many nice stories about just little things that people did and that were really helpful and, and, you know, like showed that they cared about you. So I was like, it, that was so nice to hear. Yeah. I think one thing that shines through for me and I've got it in my summary and near the end was you're clearly, you're clearly a people person. I mean, yeah. you are, your job is, is health, but it's also people and it's clear in your book when you go through anything, you pick out characters uh, from every experience that you have, yeah. be it characters that you think are wonderful or characters you think are pains in the ass. Yeah. Um, you pick them out and you, they, know, they, they impact you. You notice them and, uh, and you either get, you get a boost or, or, or the reverse from those, mostly a boost, I think, which, which makes for great reading in the book in terms of the characters and the personalities, but it also shows where you can draw energy sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly some good things to draw from. And then, you know, there's my moments where I've, I felt like Shrek and uh, <laughs> just, it was my reality. And um, I would do, I would walk around the house quoting Shrek. I don't know if my family <laughs> liked it or not, but it was who I was at the moment. So um I just perceive things differently. You know, I think a sarcastic mind works very differently than the norm. And so I did, I went from Shrek to I think Babyface to Voldemort and it was <laughs> who I was at the moment. So, um, and then the comparisons, everybody was telling me, you look like Grace Jones. And I thought, really? <laughs> okay. You look like crazy Britney Spears. And then my best friend, she gave me the best. She called me noisy mannequin and I loved it. That was really funny to me. I would have given you Annie Lennox. I got Annie Lennox. Yep. I think your facial features are match that pretty well. Thank you. One question that I often have in our podcasts, um, because I sometimes find myself to be the token male in the discussion. Tell us a bit about your husband. Sometimes the husbands are like sitting in the background and turn out to be uh, big supports. I want to give you a chance to tell us about Rob, his role and... Uh, his his effect in your treatment yeah you know what he um he he was awesome so he's a police lieutenant and so i i believe by the nature of the job people know he's a he's a service provider he's someone who cares deeply about others including his wife yeah he as soon as i told him what was going on and it did take me a solid week to fill him in on the fact that i had found a lump and so forth he just said hey we're going to do whatever it takes and he did whatever it took to keep me upright. He took me to all the appointments and, you know, held me up while I walked through the parking lots feeling horrible. And he managed the house and he cared for the kids. And again, he lived like a single dad because I was very close to useless and I'm not picking on myself. That's a reality is I just couldn't contribute very much. Yeah, he's, he's a very thoughtful guy and he brought me wet rags for my head all the time. I had the alien sludge under my scalp and that hurt. And yeah, the caregivers, the caregivers often, you know, they're, they suffer, they suffer because their life has now spun out of control. He no longer was having fun weekends at Gator football games, doing fun things. He was at home with 
sick wife or um, being single dad. So yeah, I mean, the caregivers, they suffer. One of the things I'm very proud of him and it's a commitment our whole family has is he continued to exercise. He continued to go to the gym. He never let his health suffer, which you know, means everything. And a lot of times caregivers say, well, I can't exercise because my person has this or my person is hurt. Well, no, you have to exercise because your person needs you. Your person needs you to be fit and strong and vibrant and have energy. And your person needs you to sleep as good as possible. So don't let your person off the hook. If you've got a caregiver, kick them the heck out and make them exercise or make them do push-ups at the foot of the bed. Not like a drill sergeant, but as someone who loves them and wishes you know, I needed him to be healthy. So um, that's something I'm very proud of is that our, our commitment to health is unwavering. And that goes, what I can tell you is that um, I suffered greatly. And my doctor, they threw the book at me. They told me after the fact that they gave me the most toxic version of chemo that they have. So they didn't let me know that up front. But um, after my mean chemo number six, which was the final of the meanest bunch of chemos, I was in his office, gray, shaking. I was very stressed. I had my mental health. I'd really taken a dive. And he said, Fitz, you have done so great. And I said, I have not done great. I'm a basket case. I'm a mess. He said, no, you have done so well. And I, I just looked at him and said, Dr. Gordon, why are you saying this? And I, um, and I was hospitalized. I had transfusions and stuff. He said, Fitz, listen, if you weren't as healthy as you were coming into this, you wouldn't have been in the hospital overnight. You would have been in the hospital for a month. You would have had a feeding wow. tube. You wouldn't have had the luxury of getting IV fluids out at the Buffalo Marathon. If you were not as strong as you were coming in, there's no way in hell you would have been able to do any of the things you've done. So um, give yourself credit. Your commitment to health matters. And so that's really one of the things uh, that I want for you, because I'm always, you know, my business is not about me. My business is about helping you live better and longer. So you got to have those annual exams. You have to squeeze your stuff. You know, you go in for the annual exams and get your skin and eyes and bowels and breasts and everything else checked. However, there's all these days in between. And I actually found my lump less than seven weeks post-clean mammogram. It was six and a half weeks that it went from nothing to sizey lump with several lymph nodes involved. And so, you know, if I had waited much longer, you'd be talking about me instead of to me. Um, it is serious that we look, we scan our bodies and we look for red flags. You know, if you, you know, ladies, you, your hands, your breasts, you put your hand in your shirt, you have a squeeze, it's your stuff, squeeze it. Men, put your hands in your pants. In fact, men, you can squeeze your breasts too because men get breast cancer, but um, doctors don't creep into your bed. They don't lift up your sheets at night and have a look with a flashlight just to see if you're okay. You have to be the person looking at your body. And then if you have any red flags, which are lumps, bumps, brown spots, blurry vision, stabbing chest pains. It's your responsibility to take that red flag into a physician and say, help, something's going on. Um, and so that was really important to me that my health did pay off, even though my health didn't overall protect me from getting this very mean disease. You know, they say everybody has cancer cells every day and our body just keeps turning them off. So perhaps my health has already turned off pancreatic cancer or brain cancer or something horrible. So I do think my immune system is working for me. 
Um, it's not perfect, nobody's is, but it's certainly allowed me to recover and rebound far faster than I would have um, if I were sickly, weak, or unfit going in. And so the message being is prepare your body to do battle right now because you never know when illness or injury is going to strike. If you would have asked me a month prior if I was going to face cancer the next month, no way. So, um, you know, it, this is important. You listen to a running podcast that gives me great hope that you are at least getting out and moving forward. However, you got to strength train, you got to stretch, you got to watch what you put in your mouth. Health does not come from hiding under the bed, worried about the boogeyman COVID. What health comes is from you going to the produce department and choosing an item of five different colors and consuming it every damn day. And it, it matters that you get quality sleep and you exercise your body and you get out and absorb fresh air. All of this matters. And uh, yeah, it got me through it. It'll get you through it too. I love that message because I, I, I just, I love that you you know, that you put that all into perspective because some people might listen or, or, you know, read your book and be like, well, you know, look, she did like lots of exercise and it didn't help. She got breast cancer anyway. But what you're saying is, is like, yes, it can happen. And, and that's true, but because you are fit and because you're healthy and because you do all the right things, yeah, you, you got through it and you got through it better than a lot of people. I love that you mentioned not to hide your head under the sheets because I actually, my dad, my dad is big on that. He's, he's a runner. And so he, um, several years ago, he had, he had chest pain, but he refused to think it was chest pain because he's a runner. He's like, I run, like, there's no way that I have any cardiac issues because I'm a runner. And he ended up actually getting a, a quadruple bypass. It took like about a year. He was, uh, he said he, he had like classic cardiac symptoms with the um, arms uh, getting numb uh, when he was doing a hard effort. And he just, he completely put it aside thinking that's impossible. Well, it's not impossible. And it's not by, you know, ignoring it and, and not going to the doctor that he solved it. It was, you know, that's the way that he ended up in the hospital instead. So that's great. And I love, I love that how you said about the caregivers that they need to keep taking care of themselves as well, even though it's hard, even though they're taking care of everything. Sometimes it's probably worth them not cleaning the floor and going to the gym instead. Well, imagine this, I get done with breast cancer and then my husband has a stroke because you know he's not taking care of himself. How does that fix anything for any of us? And the stress involved with caring for a cancer patient or a patient of any sort is just enormous. So he needed that mental relief. He, he definitely needed it. So, you know, all of the things that you know are true. It's, it's one thing to be this great person and do all the right things when things are going well. You know, what really matters is who are you when the chips are down? You know, I know who I am. The chips were way down. The chips were, you know, <laughs> smeared on the bottom of my shoe along with dog do. I still was committed to being as healthy as I could and, and doing the things that were right for me, my career, spending time with my kids. And I, I admit I was knocked out of any deliberate exercise for three solid months. However, the second I could do something, I did something and that something was sitting in a pool, wiggling my arms and stretching, but it was something. And then I, I did a little more the next day. And then I finished chemo, 15 months of chemo, May 10th of 2020, 
June 11th, I think I ran a Spartan 5k. I went out there. I ran through That's amazing. trails, hip high water, and I hurdled barriers. And here's the thing. I couldn't lift any of the stuff. I had lost quite a bit of weight and I was kind of, I was a skinny girl out on the course, but I laughed more than absolutely anybody. I had so much fun. And it's because I pushed the envelope just a tiny bit. You know, it was baby steps. And my, my priority was first do no harm. You know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to injure myself, make things worse. I had some limitations from surgery. So yeah, baby steps, baby steps got me to a Spartan 5k a month after chemo. And then a month after that, I did a mini sprint triathlon, which I think accumulated to be about 15 miles worth of exercise, but holy mackerel. And I was, I hyperventilated at least 50% of the way on uh, the swim, on the bike, and on the run. And I was dead freaking last. I was the girl on the bike who had to dismount, hyperventilate, push the bike up the hill. I had the cop behind me with the red lights, (laughs) you know, but I was dead last. And there was, I, I find it impossible to believe there was anyone out in the course more proud of their accomplishment, more satisfied with what they had done. So yeah, we, we can all do better and be better no matter what the situation. And I made those choices and I think everybody has the ability to. There's a photograph in the book, I think, of you actually in the middle of the Spartan. Yeah. Uh, you got mud all over your legs, so it looks like you're in the Spartan. But That's- the look on your face not only says, you know, I'm back and exercising again, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it. I made it through this this incredible trial. Yeah, um, you got sort of like a double smile on your face almost. Yeah, thank you. I put those in the back by the acknowledgments. I just wanted to catch people up on, you know, when, since we went date by date. And it's interesting, as I wrote the book, people said, you shouldn't write it chronologically and you shouldn't put in dates. And I just thought, you know what, with cancer, dates matter so much because people mm. say, okay, when was your last clean mammogram? When were you diagnosed? When did you start chemo? People really, it's that matters, schedule. especially if you're going mm-hmm. through it to figure out, you know, how it kind of works. So um, since I did go in chronological order and I published the book, you know, a few months after I finished the chemo, I thought it would be fun to show some, you know, my after pick, right? This is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And those were exciting moments for me. What was the key? What were the key success moments in your in your treatment? Like when you got to the end of your your six treatments of mean chemo, which are the things that are really debilitating. I mean, lots of people don't make it through those; they get paused um, because they're not fit enough going in, or it affects them more. So that's kind of a big milestone in the treatment when you you flip over in terms of into radiotherapy and different sorts of chemotherapy. And then there's the end where you finish, which I suppose is a tremendous point. Did you have sort of several stages where you thought, okay, you know, tick, tick, tick? Yeah, yeah. So um, my treatment when I had six rounds of mean chemo and for some people are like, what the hell is that? That's Taxotere, Carboplatin, Progetta, and Herceptin. It's a vicious combination of drugs. I do not recommend. Although, you know, I, I, you'll, it's a love-hate relationship, right? Because I wanted them. They saved my life. I knew they were the best I could get, um, but they also came with some horrible side effects, but that was okay. I was willing to take whatever I needed to and pursue the path of least regret because I didn't want to turn down any sort of treatment that one day if cancer came back, I would have said, gee whiz, I should have, should have, could have, would have, and now I'd have a longer life. So um, so yeah, getting done with the mean chemo was great, but it's interesting. You know, people say, oh, it's your last mean chemo. Are you excited? Well, 
no, because I have to go in for another nine hour infusion day. I, I'm instantly getting sick now. There was no delay on sickness. As soon as those drugs went in, all my you know, insides went out. And then I had to live with the, <laughs> the effects of the chemo for you know, a few months. But it certainly was a tremendous relief once I got past, I'd say, a month out of the mean chemo, I started to turn the corner. Now I had 15 more rounds every three weeks of another drug called Cadsila, which looks like Cadsila on paper, which to me became Godzilla. Godzilla. Because, um, yeah, so there was a mean chemo followed by Godzilla. And that had <laughs> its wonderful series of bizarre side effects that I just scratched my head thinking, oh, I can't believe I have to do this for another 10 months solid. So yeah, finishing up chemo in general was spectacular. And that was that was my final thing. The, my surgery, I had a lumpectomy. They removed some lymph nodes. That went out without um, any drama. It was just me and my husband in the hospital. I didn't even tell anybody, hey, I'm going to have surgery. I just went and had it. And, you know, I recovered. And then radiation was 33 rounds. I, a lot of people burn with radiation or blister. Some people have horrible experiences. I can honestly say that radiation was the most delightful part of my treatment. I would go in <laughs> It was a 15 minute process. I would have to get in a robe, lie uh, on a skinny plank, and then- um, What kind of robe? Oh, well, the hospital gowns. But yeah, there was, a there was some options for me and I took on some weird options. I'll let people read about that. But yeah, I, I took the silliest route possible. Yeah, I was deliberately dropping the question there, <laughs> as you could see. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was stuff that made me laugh and made my radiation techs laugh. They were pretty cool. So yeah, I would just, you know, I would strut into chemo, into radiation. I'd lie down on the thing. The machine would do loops around me for 10, 15 minutes while they played country music for me in the background. And I never got burned. I had some really good um, advice on how to treat my skin. So fortunately, I didn't have any um, really horrible side effects, some itching, some mild redness. So when radiation is done at my facility, you ring a bell. A big old bell looks like a ship's bell or a Liberty Bell type thing stuck in the wall. And I, and I did, as I walked by it every day, I would think, ooh, I just want to ring that. Like, what are they going to do to me if I ring the bell? Yeah. Slap my wrist, who cares? But I waited. And, you know, since radiation wasn't such a big deal, I felt like, oh, finishing up isn't such a big deal. But I woke up that morning and I was surprised by how excited I was. I felt like, okay, wow, I did it. I'm done. And, um, you know, a lot of the hospital execs came out and the medical team and um, they celebrated with me and I rang the heck out of that thing. I didn't just do the ding, ding. I was like, ding, 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 ding. I had a very long-winded bell ringing experience. And then at the end of chemo, that was... Yeah, that was a really emotional time too. And it's interesting because I, I historically haven't been an emotional person, but you know, there is no stress like the stress that comes along with cancer. And so I, once again, I thought, oh, I'm just going to go in and get chemo and leave. No big deal. But showing up, I was, you know, about to blubber, just signing in. And then because of COVID, my husband couldn't come back with me and I was stuck alone in the chair. And of course I have all these silly things going through my head. So I, I thought, okay, once um, chemo's in, I, there should be a button that I can just hit and go boop. And then all my hair just regrows out of my head, like a Lego or, or a Play-Doh hairstyle salon where it just boop and it comes out. And 
uh, we were supposed to have a disco party where they shine this little disco ball on the ceiling in the infusion room. But here's the deal. There's 50 other cancer patients in there. Most of them feel like hell. They don't want to hear your music. So music gets pay- played at a really low level. And I didn't have any family or friends in there with me. So I just went over by the nurse's station and I had my own little solo dance party and it was as nerdy as it can be, but whatever, that was my lot in life. And I, you know, it worked. I was happy. It was a great celebration. And then once all that was over, like, what was the feeling? Because then you had to, I guess you had to have some tests and then you have to see the doctor to see if everything was, was okay. So how, how did that feel? So this is interesting. I, uh, they did some significant tests up front. And when I finished the mean chemo, I had a few weeks before I was due to have surgery and they had another PET scan between mean chemo and surgery. And what uh, the PET scan showed is that there still was cancer. It had shrunk, but it didn't kill all the cancer. And then I had surgery and they removed my tumor and got clean, clean margins on it. And they removed uh, 11 lymph nodes and only three were still positive. The other four were clean. So it's interesting. I got that information. And then maybe a couple of months later, I was sitting with my radiology oncologist. I said, so when do I go in remission? She said, oh, well, you, you went into remission the day they removed the cancer. I said, really? She said, yeah, because after that was removed, you had no proven evidence of disease. It's called NED, no evidence of disease. So technically I went into remission July 30th, again, with not much fanfare, because they didn't even tell me, hey, you're in remission now. Everything they did after that was um, proactive to um, the radiation uh, definitely kills cancer cells. And I can't explain that to you right now, but um, Godzilla, that drug was explained to me as a sharpshooter. So Um, if there were any cancerous cells still floating around in my body, Godzilla would hunt it down and kill it. And so I was just having a protocol. They didn't think I had any cancer left in me, but if I did, they were going to get it. So we really didn't have any scans after that. I have um, mammograms and I have ultrasounds regularly, but thankfully they haven't shoved me back in an MRI machine since I finished chemo. And yeah, everything looks good right now. It's manual exams and ultrasounds and I'm good. They don't expect it to come back. They expect me to live a very long time and burden everybody else with my noise. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, that's good news for us because it means that then, you know, we have more time to like make our way to Philly marathon and hopefully. Get the full fits experience. Yeah. 100% of my races and they're all spectacular. Every last one of them. So you can't go wrong. In terms of the full fits experience, I guess Philadelphia Marathon is the one that I've run, not at a time that you've been announcing it, but that you have you've announced. Um, but I have the image of of the Philadelphia Marathon being in the middle, the town center, right at the rocky steps, yeah. so to speak. All the flags down the middle of the uh, the main street, the music playing. The start line itself is sort of a massive experience, you know, big marathon experience. And in your book, you talk about, I guess, hyping the crowd up and getting, it must be 10,000 people, something like that, to jump with excitement, like a 10,000 person mosh pit at the start of a a big marathon. Describe to us what that feels like. Oh, gosh, nothing's better. And so this is to set the scene, it's Philadelphia. We're surrounded by monuments and these gray historic buildings. And we have the Philadelphia Museum in front of us. And you write those flags. 
but it's a dark, dreary, freezing morning. It's 30 something degrees. There's rain pelting us in our face. It's all very intense. I mean, I had to squint sometimes because rain was going directly into my eyeballs, but um, they brought me in because they wanted more energy. They have some very nice guys who've been announcing for a while, but they're a little, they're a bit more low key than I am. And so their title sponsor, AACR, the American Association of Cancer Research said, hey, we need a little more fun. And we happen to have Susie Funtime announcer and she happens to have cancer. So let's, let's bring her in. So I, I was a good fit for them and for this race, I believe. But you know, what happened is usually it's the elites. When the elites are up in front, they jump. This is, they're just warming up, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's just freaking freezing and kind of miserable. We're all having fun, but I see the elites up front jumping. And I just turned to the crowd. I said, Philadelphia, it's time for jumping. And then they did. There was 13,000 people. Boom, boom. I thought we were going to knock the monuments down. It was <laughs> incredible. And I couldn't even see all the runners because they were so far back. But it was just such a spectacle. And it's funny because I look for video footage. I don't like, I want to get that, but there's always someone shooting video at the wrong thing, the boring thing. I need to start carrying around a videographer with me because man, that was a spectacular sight. And, uh, AACR wants me to come back and announce Philadelphia some more for them. I hope I get the chance. And, you know, I look forward to unsteadying, unsteadying more monuments next time. Maybe you need to wear a body cam or something, uh, that's a really good idea. Oh, and then that event, actually, I had, you know, I'm not a fan of the air horn. I am a very vocal um, opponent of the air horn. I think it makes the least exciting, most annoying sound in racing. I think if you're someone who invests in a professional announcer, use that big voice to give a big, exciting go, or at least get a cannon or something like that. So anyways, we, they use an air horn and I, you know, I do what I'm told sometimes, not always, but <laughs> when I'm at a race, if a race director asks me for, to do something, I do. And so it was, uh, the way I do it normally is runner set and then go a big go, but the formula here was going to be runner set. And then I squeeze the arm of the person honking the air horn and then they would honk the air horn. Well, the people that were given the air horns around me and they like to give it to um, VIPs, dignitaries, to give them something important to do. It's fun for them. It's a great, you know, makes, makes them want to come back, right? I honk the horn. So everybody kept screwing it up. I would yell runners set. And as the second I started set, they'd honk the horn. And it just, you know, there was a little bit of weirdness. I kept saying, wait, wait till I'm done saying set. And so one guy, the, this hoity-toity executive man who was very, very nice, he's next to me, and I get him to do the honk the horn at the right time, but he chooses to aim the horn directly into my right ear and blast Oh, it. no. I, I fortunately kind of arched back, and oh, it was just so funny. You know, sometimes I, I, I really prefer live events. You know, I work in television sometimes very uh, structured, and you got to retake and retake and retake, and I... I prefer live television where if something goes wrong, fine. So be it. Let's keep moving. Same thing works with race day. You've got 13,000 people you're managing. You go, you keep going. Even if somebody's blasting an air horn in your ear or blasting it at the wrong time, but such a fun event, such a wonderful event and great medals too. Ah, oh, so we have to, we have to do that one then again as a team, all go down together. 
and all that. So uh, just maybe if you could tell us what, what's the message that you would like people to get from your book? Yeah, your health matters. So don't wait until something goes wrong. Be proactive. You know, right now there's a bunch of people that are in high risk categories. Some of them have earned their high risk status because they've aged and that's a great gift. And then there's some people that are in a younger category that should be of no risk that have, you know, uh, put themselves in a bad position because they haven't watched what they put in their mouth. They haven't exercises, exercised and so forth. And so don't wait for stuff to hit the fan. I want you to uh, do those things to take care of yourself right now because health matters. And, um, you know, if you're going through anything, uh, anything similar to what I have or something totally different, you know, y- you can thrive while trying to survive. And I think I really, you know, I wrote the book on that. I wrote the book on thriving while surviving, you know, with perspective, passion, positivity, you know, you can get through anything. I also had this little mantra where I didn't actually realize I was doing it, but I'm a bit of a medical wimp. I'm afraid of tight spaces. So the MRI experience wasn't a fun time for me. I'm also afraid of needles and with cancer, you become a bit of a pin cushion. So I was constantly battling the, the chicken inside of my head and reminding myself, I kept saying, you can do hard things. You can do this, you can do this. And you know, I would remind myself, you used to be a competitive kickboxer. You've built a great business. You have one, you've raised wonderful children you can do hard things. And that was this uh, person inside, just, I was pumping myself up for my, my IV or whatever. So I can do hard things became my mantra. And I would say it over and over and over, no matter what was going wrong with me, no matter how I was deteriorating, I just kept telling myself, I can do hard things. And so, um, yeah, you can do hard things too. So passion, perspective, positivity, self-talk, it works. This is when people buy the book on fitness.com, they get this sticker and I, I like putting it on the back of my cell phone. I want people to remind themselves, you know, when they're facing hard times that they can do hard things and, you know, you're, you control the things you can control the things you can and you'll, you'll do fine. Yeah. You sent us a sticker. I'll have to put it somewhere so I can see yeah. it on a regular basis. It's amazing too. I saw on your website, you actually sell them in like packs of 50 or something. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you need to get those. And, and paste them everywhere. <laughs> it's um, basically, I guess, uh, for the listeners, it's a sticker. It just says, I can do hard things. It's like in a little, uh, it's like in a little pink bubble. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm certainly going to use you when we try our uh, sub three attempt. I'm going to be running. And when it gets tough, I'll say I can do hard things. But I'll also say, this is nothing compared to uh, what Fitz went through with her, uh, with her cancer treatment. So... She can do that. I can do this. That's true. That's true. When I was doing that triathlon and I was sucking wind, all I could think was, wow, last year, the hard thing I was doing was so much harder than riding a bike on a breezy day. So yeah, yeah. Perspective. You just shared perspective. It was a long way. Maybe what we could do is um, just give our summary thoughts on the book. Uh, fits for for our readers. So Fitz, if um, people want to get a copy of the book, where where can they? Where's the best place? That's a great question. So the book is available hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audiobook, and it's available worldwide wherever books are sold. However, if people come to fitsness.com, that's my home base, F-I-T-Z-N-E-S-S.com, 
if you come there and get your hardcover or paperback books, every last one of the books sold off my site is autographed specifically to the person you tell me to sign it to. They all come with a fun little gift with purchase sticker. Yeah, that's where I prefer. And then if anyone wants to connect with me, I would love it if you'd follow me. I'm at Fitness on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't just follow, say hello. You can tell me you heard me on the Running Books podcast and Liz and Alan convinced you to say hello. But as you can tell, I, I like having more friends, especially running friends. So, you know, follow and, and reach out and make me happy. Well, you certainly make us happy. Uh, I've been Definitely. smiling all the way through this conversation. We've been talking about cancer treatment. I've been smiling, uh, <laughs> cheerful, and, uh, just because of what you sort of emanate, I guess, which is, you know, a sunny personality. Okay, so um, let's let's wrap up. Thanks, Fitz. Let me give you my uh, summary of the book, uh, Liz, I'll, I'll, and then I'll, I'll switch to you. The, the book is kind of set up like a diary um, in terms of, dates and and diary dates and we've heard about why that's like that but a diary also filled with contrasting experiences you know let's go and have a chemo and here's what that's that means and then tomorrow let's go and announce a big marathon somewhere (laughs) and and what that means which is is fun uh, in terms of reading um it's very clear and easy to read uh it demystifies the cancer treatment um if anybody you know, wants to understand that more, uh, tells you the things that you didn't think of, that you didn't imagine if you, you've you never been through that experience. And, and why not find out about that before? You know, knowledge is a great thing. I think it communicates well and repeatedly the positive energy and experience you can have on race day uh, when you're running and shows the power of people and the power of people to change your experience whether it be an experience of fun that you're having with a run or an experience of not so fun you're having with, uh, you know, a conversion to Shrek or uh, an injection of chemo brain or, or whatever it is that you're going through. Uh, also, lastly, the photos are great. So, you know, there's a bunch of photos and there's a whole um, shotgun of photos towards the end in the acknowledgements. Sometimes the photos show you in tough situations, but usually you're always trying to put a brave face on it or you're doing a quirky thing, which kind of, you know, you find the fun in the experience, even though the experience itself is not fun, which is fantastic. Those are my thoughts, Liz. Well, I guess uh, I would echo some of those. I mean, I I love the honesty in the book. Um, it can't be easy to disclose how you felt about, you know, losing your hair um, or, you know, your stinky nail experience or how terrified you were in an MRI machine. Um, like Alan said, it was, uh, it's, it's easy to read. I like the journal format. I, I think, um, if somebody's reading it because uh, they're about to go through the same thing, I think the chronological accounting of the, the story is, is actually, it adds value because uh, I feel that, um, that, you know, I would want to know sort of, okay, well, how long after the chemo do I still not feel great? Or, you know, for you, your experience was you thought you'd be exercising through all of it. And in the end, I mean, you did an exercise for the first, you know, let's say three months or so, or, or um, yeah, during most of mean chemo, I think you only really started after surgery. So I think that for somebody that would be reading this to, to um, get to know more about the journey, or maybe because they have a friend or family member that's going through it, I, I think that the journal format 
sort of adds value and the and the timing and the being chronologically um, explained. Uh, what I loved most was all the positive stories about all the people that made a big difference. Because like I said earlier, I feel like this sort of gave me faith in humanity. You know, you saw how this experience, it almost brought out the best in some people, friends that would pick up your kids, you know, all the, the patient, the, you know, the cancer survivors and other people dealing with cancer that came up to you and, and, you know, told you their story, uh, nurse Lily, who would, who would warn you when you should pretend to be sleeping so that you could avoid another patient that wanted to come and chat when you really didn't feel like it. Uh, you know, your relationship with Rudy and how he, you know, he kind of made the experience, uh, I guess, bearable. I just feel like it just shows how, there are a lot of good people in the world and I loved hearing all of those. And um, the, I, I can do hard things sticker is so if you order the book through fitness.com and you get an, I can do hard things sticker, that's, I feel that's an amazing addition. So those were my thoughts on it. Uh, I really appreciate you guys inviting me on your show. You're both very intelligent and um, caring parts of the running community. And it means a lot to me and I'm so happy you enjoyed it. You know, you create a product like this and you hope that somebody, I guess you hope for starters that people don't hate it. <laughs> I think it's the worst. Um, but the fact that, you know, two people like you really enjoyed it and, you know, feel like it's beneficial to others means a lot to me. So I appreciate you and I'm excited to engage with your listeners because they sound like they're my cup of tea. That's super nice. Thanks. Runners are the best. Yes, they are. Yes, we are. Thank you for listening to another episode of Running Book Reviews. A really big thank you to Fitz for spending time with us today and, and responding so quickly to our, to our requests and sending us books personally signed. We feel loved even more than we normally do. If you'd like to leave us some feedback of how we can improve our podcast or you want to suggest a book we, you think we should be reviewing in a future episode, please leave us a comment on social media. We are Running Book Reviews on Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, we are reviews underscore running. Please also follow us on social media to find out about new episodes when they are released. Or you can just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform. That's all for today from Running Book Reviews.